Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And joining us again is our good friend, uh, Darren King, also known as Exo Academian. Welcome, Darren. Hey, James. Good to be back. Yeah, I, I always, I, I never know if I should call you Darren or Exo. You know, it's like a a double singular identity. That's right. It's my it's my alter ego, kind of like James Iandoli and James Landoli, Landolini, right? <laughs> James Landolini, Islandoli. <laughs> but uh, it's it's great to have you back on, and um, yeah, I, honest, I could have you on regularly with for the EXO update. You know, I you know I sure. wait, you know next time actually, I, I I'd love to have you on and just go over like your episodes for the month. Yeah. Totally. Because I'm down, you know, like four episodes, go, you know, do a review of those four episodes. Cause you always have such uh great in depth uh, episodes covering different topics. And, and for people listening, if you're not familiar, uh, Darren has a podcast called point of convergence, which is I, what I would consider a deep dive and uh, a podcast that stands on its own and, and, it, and its own categories. Cause it's absolutely fascinating. And it's, it's uh thoroughly researched and has a lot of deep insights. So point of convergence, check that out. Uh, but today I have Darren here um, to talk about something he's put together called the essence of being. So uh, Darren, what is the essence of being? Wow, that's a good question. And deciding where to begin that conversation is an interesting uh, thought experiment because it goes back a long, long way. In some ways, it's fairly recent in terms of the actual execution of it. But I think the uh, the thinking behind it and the spirit behind it goes back a long, long way. I think that people like you and I who've had experiences with the phenomenon and altered state experiences and who have a background in spiritual circles, you know, we both have a background in Buddhism, for instance. Um, I think that's not a coincidence. I think that somehow it's all connected. And sometimes what ends up happening is as we have experiences with non-human intelligences, we find that it tends to change how we view not just the future moving forward, but also our past. And it kind of recontextualizes our entire history. So I look back at the seeds of what eventually became essence of being, and I would say it goes back like decades. But but most recently, I would say that for those who have been listening to Point of Convergence, they would recognize that, again, the entire title for the show comes from the fact that there's these different contact modalities that somehow converge together and are saying something about reality, but not just something, something about reality, but something about the, the primacy of consciousness as sort of like the undergirding substructure of reality and how many of these others, not all of them, but many of them are actually trying to engage with us in such a way that it changes our worldview, changes the way we see ourselves in reality. So basically that's, I would say, the, the crux of what Essence of Being is about. It's about recognizing that in order to transition through some of the challenges we as a civilization are facing, we have to fundamentally change how we see ourselves, how we see our relationship with each other, our relationship with the planet and with the surrounding sort of cosmic community. So the whole focus was to basically put together uh, workshop retreats and online courses and coaching that's all designed around that aim, basically. That initiative is to change our relationship with ourselves, each other, and reality so as to help foster this transition into kind of a new world. Yeah. And you spoke a little bit to that, to what I was going to ask just now, but um, in, a, in a kind of different frame, um, what uh, was there something that drove you to to create the essence of being? It's a good question. Again, I, I've had backgrounds in doing spiritual teaching in the past, but the way that it's come full circle in terms of incorporating some of what I did even a decade ago, along with what I've actually learned because of interactions with the phenomenon and by researching the phenomenon, it kind of is eclipsing what it was before. So I was part of integral theory circles, kind of a leadership in the past. I've done shamanic journey teaching in the past, like a decade ago. But what this does is sort of brings together um, a, a much broader and deeper understanding of, of the context and tries to speak to all of that. Um, I think that for me, I would say that absolutely a huge part, maybe the biggest impetus for me to do this is 
basically a telepathic sense that I'm supposed to. So I've talked about this before, I think even on your show, that I've had sort of experiences where protocols sort of were established with me going back even as far as like 2010. And then they were kind of ramped up over time. And then with more specificity where like downloads would come in. The first time it happened, I didn't, I had no idea that's what it was at all. I didn't know why what was happening was happening. Uh, And then there was more clarity on that a few years later. And then with my experience at the Monroe retreat last year, that's really when things solidified and then I started having the sense that I really need to do this. Like it's it's an imperative that I that I actually start this initiative, that I teach these classes, plan to do it around the world, plan to do it for lots of people. And whenever I have even this sort of sense that I'm going to wait a while until I've really perfected it, I have this sense that this download that says you perfect it by doing it and then you do it again and you do it again and you keep doing it and you expand your own awareness as you interact with people and helping to share this understanding about consciousness. So, so that's sort of the, the big uh, picture. The, the long answer to the question is it's a combination of my background, but also very specific kind of communication and messages I've received. And on top of that though, what's so amazing about the consciousness piece is that, and I've taught about this in the class actually, that when you actually act on what you feel called to do, you're actually also um, sort of combining with a larger move in consciousness. So if we tune into what we feel called to do and what I call our most essential nature, just the way that the same way that a cell is supposed to work together with other cells to help an organ function and organs are supposed to function together to make a body function and bodies are meant to function together. So a biosphere functions and you can scale it all the way up to like a cosmic level. When we tune into what we're meant to express in terms of our essential energy or what I call like our, our our cosmic signature that's unique to each of us, we find this cooperation happening cosmically because what we feel called to do is also part of a larger move that we're a part of. And so that entire experience for me has been really profound, really amazing. And it really comes down to a sense of being called to do it, but also being something uniquely that I want to do more than anything else as well. And... Uh, you know, for people listening uh, or watching, what is uh, what's what's the basic structure of the of the let's say let's start with the course, the essence of being course. How is that structured? Yeah, so basically, it's a twelve week uh, course. Just finished up last week. Started in the beginning of September, went till last week, and I'll do another one in the new year. And basically, it's a combination of teaching curriculum that people learn, but also practices that we do together and also actually helping people um, have experiences. So for instance, the first half hour usually is a guided meditation that I lead that really helps people to tune into this more intuitive part of themselves. And one of the most exciting parts of the course, I think almost anybody in the class would say this too, is that the synchronicity storms amongst everybody in the class just went off the charts the more we we sort of work together. So one of the things I talk about is, is forming this coherent field of intention as a group. It becomes like an energy field of its own that is that is synced up and it's sort of alive on its own kind of thing. And and it's produced by the the sort of combined the combined uh, intention of all of us together, basically. And then it becomes something that is not only we give something life to, but we can draw from it. So throughout the week, people would actually, when they're feeling troubled or down or challenged, they would actually draw, like tune into and draw from this sort of shared intention, this field of of coherent awareness that we put, we built together kind of thing. And, and people began to see how that could change how they experience their own lives. So the first half hour is basically that guided meditation where we return to like in like in a visual guided kind of tour, return to a place where we, we are together and picturing tuning into that field. Right. And I even bring in some of the guided meditation from the Monroe Institute in terms of the box where you put aside all of your concerns, things that are not essential to who you are. So you can really tune in to what really is trying to arise in the moment. Because one of the things I really teach is that, it's not about, and this is something about my my approach, is that while I do plan for what I'm going to talk about, the most important thing is that I tune into and everybody else tunes into what's alive in the moment, like what's arising in the field of consciousness. And it's more about a tuning in than it is about just 
a routine of like repeating curriculum kind of thing. So then I will teach on some topics and actually then also give some um, background in terms of ways that's impacted me. And then I invite the rest of the people to also chime in and talk about how it's impacted them, how they've been impacted by that in the, in the past or how they're thinking about it now. They might have questions. So it becomes a combination of that guided meditation, then kind of a curriculum that I deliver for a while, and then sort of class interaction around how we think about that, any questions that arise kind of thing. And then another key, key part is this theme that sort of carries throughout the entire course and also will carry through the retreats that I will host next year. And that's something I call radical transparency. The notion there being, and you'll get this from a sort of a Buddhist perspective as well, a Vedantic perspective, that, that really that interconnected whole is the way things are in their natural state. And that when we lie, when we lie by omission, when we distort the truth, when we entertain untruths, when we don't practice right speech, those kind of things, we actually distort the field. And that prevents us from having this really psychic, intuitive connection with everyone and everything. So one of the things I've learned in practicing this with people that I'm close to over the last year or so is when you can really practice radical transparency, like just lay everything out, do your best to not ever distort what actually is, then you begin to have this subtle awareness of these energy fields all around you. And even in interpersonally, where you pick up so much more information than was originally available or that you assumed anyway. So we basically talk about how to practice radical transparency. And then people go into their weeks, wherever they are around the world, and actually practice it and come back with some amazing stories of like, not only sometimes it did kind of blow up in their face and they learn from it in terms of what are the skillful means you would incorporate in order to do this in a way that would impact people without forcing people into a kind of a transparency that they're not ready for. But often what they found was it actually set the field differently for the people they interacted with, even in their workplaces and whatnot, and their families and whatnot. So it created these new possibilities that were always there, but just kind of hidden because of the things that kind of arise and, and distort things. And the, the metaphor that I used was you picture these crystal clear Mediterranean waters where you can see all the way down to the ocean floor. I said, that's the state of the interconnected cosmos, right? We are all connected. We can tune into each other. We have this porous ability to read each other's minds, right? Things like that, to tune into whether or not someone's words are matching their energy, right? And you can you can tune into that as well. And the more you practice radical transparency, the better and better you get about that really subtle awareness of like little parts of distortion that are coming in. So basically, that's what we practice is how to how to do this and how this changes our relationship with each other, uh, with the planet. And the goal is to help people understand that while we've been brainwashed basically into doing anything but practicing radical transparency, when we do, not only do we have amazing insights that come to us, even sort of psychic connections amongst us, but we also realize that that was the fundamental way things really are originally. And so we're returning to that original state. And uh, are you, can you talk about some of the, some of the curriculum, curriculum? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've got a list of things, like some of the things we talk about, right? <clears throat> so it's like this bullet point list that I created ahead of time. So we would touch on each of these. So I'll just bring up a few of them. So one is cultivating intuitive awareness over conceptualization. So in the West, Western civilization, we have become very cerebral. We have in many ways divorced ourselves from our bodies. And we we think that what we reason about is is reality. And so we have this symbolic relationship with reality and we've lost sight of the fact that we actually have replaced our actual direct interaction, like a gnosis kind of interaction with reality for reference to the way we think about reality. And it's become so all-encompassing that and so insidious that people don't recognize they do it. So we actually try to practice tuning into direct knowing rather than thinking about things, right? So there's there's various techniques you can use to help people get outside of the rut of their usual thinking. And then once they begin to do that, then they recognize how different that feels, right? So for instance, with remote viewing, you might know this too, there's times where when you get a hit, the way that you know you're right, of course, you're not always right, but when you are right, there's a certain way that it comes in that feels a certain way. It has a certain sensation to it that's unique. 
In a similar way, when you practice this direct knowing over conceptualization, it begins to establish a way that that tends to come in and that normalizes it for people. And then they begin to tune that in more and more and more so that they are walking through the world with their antenna, listening to these signals that are all around us kind of thing. So that's one. Well, and, I already and talked about radical transparency. Just briefly, um, I just want to touch yeah. on that. It's like, um, for me, really, uh, there's times uh, with, uh, you know, if you want to say uh, contact work or, or not even contact work, just the interactions with the phenomenon in general, like I'll, I could be doing something and like, I get a feeling and I like, I know that there's going to be an encounter that's going to occur soon. And I just know it. And I, it's a yeah. sensation. I can't, it's not a. Uh, it's 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 a sensation and i'm familiar and it's familiar it. right it's familiar yeah. like you you've no, you've like you've named it in such a way that when it happens you know what it corresponds to right yeah. yeah yeah and then sure enough you know it's it's something where an interaction occurs and it you know right. uh, uh, one that i guess you can say is like is meaningful in a way as well right yeah and so that that's another big piece i would talk about is uh synchronicity is another big um, element we talk about in terms of sort of the Jungian perspective, which I talked about in my conversation with Bernardo Castro, in terms of recognizing that underlyingly these meaning waves are actually what produce reality. So in, in Jung's perspective, the collective unconscious was one side of the coin. The flip side of that coin was physical reality. So basically right. the, 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 dyna the dynamics of the collective unconscious are what populate what we perceive as physical reality. So when you start tuning in to these deep meaning waves and responding again, like I said, from your cosmic signature, responding from essential energy and expressing it, that creates these dynamics and the meaning waves that end up producing what look to us like these anomalies we call synchronicities. And really what it's about is like you're getting these like this pop that's happening, this brightness, because people are tuning in to their essential energy and they're expressing themselves from that place. So it's basically a win-win because when these synchronicity storms rise up, it's a sign to people that they are actually tuning into their essential self and 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 expressing themselves in the right way, the way that they were sort of designed to do kind of thing. And then when multiple people doing that at the same time, and on top of that, we're, we're, we're effectively every week growing organically this shared field of intention, then the synchronicity storm just goes off the charts. And even in the middle of a session of a class, like synchronicity after synchronicity would start coming up for people, even in the guided meditation. So, so that helps people tune into recognizing that we each have this purpose we come in to express. I don't mean specifically like one purpose. It can be different kinds of expression, but it's the it's the the, the, the dynamical nature of how we express ourselves that's unique to us. And that also we are called to sort of work together in these larger units of consciousness as well. And so that's another big piece about it too, is synchronicity uh, and what that means basically and how we can use it as like a tuning fork to to feel like we're we're acting out of our most essential self. Yeah. And be, before we before we lose anybody, Darren, uh, I, I want to get across to people who who are tuning into this and are like thinking like where's the UFOs, right? Like I, I can't express enough how important and fundamental what we're talking about here now is to the, the UFO phenomenon and the UFO question and interactions because what we're talking about now especially in my experience this these are the type of subtleties the skill sets and um the 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 awarenesses that you begin to pick up on and learn through direct experience when you have contact interactions you know you, it might start off with seeing an object in the sky but you're going to find as your life begins to unfold after that these are the these are the kind of subtleties that are going on and you know Darren and I have the benefit of, of, uh, you know, years of, of experience afterward to be able to sit here and tell you that. Right. So, um, it, it, this is highly relevant to the, to the UFO phenomenon. It may not be apparent on the surface, but I, I want to interject and say it absolutely is. Um, we might be getting a, a little bit into the deep end, but this is, this is where we're going. These, these are the kind of, kind of conversations, that I think the majority of people are going to be picking up on post uh, disclosure um, as, as, you know, I guess you can say people begin to embrace the kind of greater 
implications that that come along with the ufo phenomenon uh because the you know that we have we're talking about yeah there's physical objects that are not from here or not from this time space um and are interacting with us but you know the what darren and i are talking about here are are the things that come kind of like with that understanding uh so i, I just wanted to state that here um darren uh you have a you have a list of other <laughs> parts of this structure. Yeah. Well, you just or, reminded me of another one that's really, really important because I think both you and I would acknowledge that on the one hand, a major, if not the most major element of the UFO phenomenon is to shift people's perspective in terms of consciousness. Yeah. It's meant to be a wake up call. You know, it's interesting, Bernardo, in my conversation with him, basically suggested perhaps high strangeness was what he would call nature's way of introducing the data that forces us out of the rut of thinking that we currently have. But one of the things I would bring up to people's attention too, though, is that just like you get a spectrum of consciousness within humanity, you also get a spectrum of consciousness with these others, because there's many different kinds of others with different origin sources. So what happens with some of that is that even if you don't see them sometimes, there's still a psychic influence that that plays a role. And so one of the things we talk about a lot in the class is how to really tune into what is your essential nature, not just so you know that, but so that you can also pick up on when other elements are coming in and influencing you. And that's not just the others. That also comes down to things like ancestral energy, right? Familial energy, cultural energy, all of these things come in. So I describe it like, we come into the world, we come into incarnation, into manifestation. It's like picture this comet passing through this nebula before it comes to the earth. And that nebula is a combination of our cultural backgrounds, our ancestral backgrounds, um, family experience, right? Our family of origin. And that all kind of gets mixed up in this, this nexus of energy. And then what we do in our lifetimes, ideally, is begin to sort out that energy. And as we sort out and, and, and are with it, right? Rather than resisting it, but just being with it, even if it's difficult on the surface, and then we begin to transmute the energy. So we end up cleaning up ancestral energy, which also has impacts that go in all directions into the past and the future. This is definitely the deep end now. But on top of that, we also tune into what it feels like when other actors are influencing you psychically. So one of the things that I've talked about, for instance, even though you and I have had very, very benevolent interactions with pretty much every kind of encounter we've had, we do know there are other beings that tend to be behind the scenes. They tend to not so much come to the surface because the way they operate actually is through psychic influence, not just on an individual level, but on a collective level. So one of the things I talked about in the last POC episode was how the degree of turmoil and strife, both in our own country, in terms of the near civil war status, but also tensions around the world are being ratcheted up by some of this psychic influence. And the less aware you are of your own internal core energy, the less able you are to be able to discern when something else is influencing you. So I give the analogy of like a bank teller, when they are training bank tellers, they don't show them all sorts of different kinds of counterfeit money. What they show them is the real thing. And they get them to hold it and to feel it so they know it like the back of their hand. So that way, when any kind of counterfeit comes, they right away know. So it's that same idea here that as we become really accustomed to tuning into and recognizing our essential energy, which is unique to each of us, we become much more adept about tuning into when other energy sources are trying to impact us. Yeah. And, you know, a little bit of what I was riffing on before, I think you know, the UFO phenomenon and, and interactions with the non-human intelligence uh, and, you know, the work that you're talking about here uh, comes into, you know, a little bit of uh, human potential, like what, you know, humans or, or sentient beings are, are capable of and, and on so many different levels, right? You know, we're tuned into this, this, consciousness field i mean it's not even a field and i don't you know there's a greater aspect you can call it than just a field it's it's much yeah. more than that um but you know there's the kind of conscious aspect of it um the mind aspect of it but 
I, you know, I would argue when you start getting into those realms, you know, at least in, in our cases as humans and human potential, you, you also tap into things like epigenetics, right? So there, yeah. there's actual like real world implications and applications for this kind of work. And, uh, you know, I, I and I think the, you know, the more people are aware of this kind of work before what, you know, what we call disclosure, uh, the better prepared people are going to be, because I, I think in, in you know, a post-disclosure world or after confirmation, you know, these things are going to be uh, kind of more apparent in, in a way, if that makes sense. It does. And one of the things I talk about is that one day, maybe in high school, we'll be taught a kind of course on energetics, right? And energetic recognition, because what is part of the revelation that's coming eventually is recognizing that there's this entire sort of psychic field behind what we see on the surface. And being aware of those things makes us much less reactive. It increases what I call our ability to be responsible, so able to respond rather than being reactive. And so these kind of things absolutely are the real substructure that needs to dawn on people is that it's not just that there's these others in our midst, but the entire psychic stew of influence uh, is undergirding things we ha see happening on the surface. And so the more that we can tune our subtle awareness, that's really a key part of what Essence of Being about is, is, is tuning into subtle awareness to ever increasing degrees of specificity. Like a, like a microscope, you can zoom in and, and then see more, and then you can zoom in and see more. There's immense amount of energy available, information available, basically. Everything is connected, right? When we think about remote viewing, any of the psi phenomena, we recognize that space and time are, are irrelevant, basically, that any kind of secret anywhere in the cosmos um, conducted by any kind of sentient being is available to every other sentient being because there's a porous nature to our consciousness. And in fact, when you try to hide things, when you put it in a deep vault with you know 10 foot wide iron gates or whatever, it just shines like a lighthouse in the dark to people who can tune into that because your intention is what people pick up rather than the fact that it's being hidden. So, so all of this really matters in terms of how we eventually fit into this cosmic order that we need to mature, not just in terms of getting past fear reactions and fight or flight, but also tuning into this responsibility we have to not just be aware of other energies, but how we are constantly emitting energy into the world as well, and to be responsible agents with that. And uh, was, was there more that you wanted to talk about on curriculum and the structure uh, otherwise, I wanted to discuss maybe some practice, some other practices that you include for this kind of work. I mean, I could go into a lot, but that's good for now. Probably that gives people some some ideas, of right? To begin with, because uh, yeah, I you know I, I definitely want to have you come back on uh, and in uh, and talk about essence of being, especially after the after a retreat occurs. Uh, in and, you know, because people, people that are tuning into this channel are probably going to be familiar with CE5 and HICE, human initiated contact and contact modalities. So in, in SF, essence of being uh, in the course and or the retreats, are you going to be, do, does it include a specific category? Because in the broad sense, of course, right? Um, is there a specific uh, category or module for interactions with non-human intelligence? There are, and mainly around this energetic resonance piece. So, so basically, one of the questions that came up, for instance, was around how do you know what kind of intelligence you're connecting with, right? If you're taking the front foot with the initiative, number one, and tied to that were other questions that were risen about, you know, how do you know when in between lifetimes, for instance, you know, you've heard this notion, right? Some people put forward that don't go towards the light, right? It's it's a trick kind yeah. of thing. So, so. I talk to people about resonance, right? So I talk about in each of those cases, both in terms of what we're, what I call it is, is the analogy of like what number we're calling, right? When we pick up the phone, um, that's not going to be random. That's going to be determined by 
your energetic signature and what you're emitting into the cosmos. And it's, and light goes to light. So you're going to have this resonance that happens. So we talk about the importance of being aware of your own energy, having done spiritual cleansing, make sure that your intention is clear, that you're not you don't have residual energy of frustration because someone cut you off in traffic earlier in the day. Being really aware of that energetic mix whenever you do any of these kind of alternate state experiences, even when you're going into lucid dreaming, right? Any of these, any subtleties of energy that we bring with us prime the experience we end up having, even in terms of like who we end up contacting through something like CE5 or Heist. So so we absolutely talk about that and not just that, but also how that fits into reincarnation and uh, our purpose and what manifestation is and talking about how to resonate in such a way that you trust that resonance uh, in terms of, in, you know, touching base with other kinds of intelligences, as well as what happens between lives, it all being about that level of connection and resonance and, and learning how to be aware of that and then be responsible about it. Yeah. And do you guys um, utilize any any particular meditation practices, or or is it just through um, guided meditations that you're doing? Most of it was guided meditation because the you know there's quite a range of people that come into the class. Some who are you know experienced meditators who've been doing it for years. Some people who've probably never meditated. Some people who've tried and gave up because they just found it really difficult to do. I think especially in our modern era where we're used to streaming and getting everything we want exactly at the moment and, you know, commercials or movie previews like flash images like so quickly that almost puts us into a, a state of ADHD or something. And so to cultivate, as you know, the ability to, to sit in stillness and let those waters begin to become still and clear so that we can see further. So the horizon expands basically that that takes work because for some people that they just they just die of the boredom or they just never get past that threshold right and so um so we do talk about that but it begins by helping people have these kind of visualization experiences so through the guided meditation i take us through like a body scan so that and we do it a little bit deeper each time so that people begin to know what it feels like to like presence their consciousness into different parts of their body. And they begin to experience, oh, you know, like my my foot is actually like quite sore because I've been running a lot or something. So so something that was there all along, but they never tuned in in such a way that they become aware of it. So these different practices help people begin to realize how much capacity they actually have to grow their ability to be aware of their own body, their own mind, their own emotional state. So after we do the body scan, we also do like we tune into our, our emotional state and our mental state. And then we, and again, first of all, it's just witnessing. It's just noticing what's there. And I frequently talk to people about don't judge yourself. Don't judge what you find. Don't become frustrated just by being witness to what's there, to these energies. And all these different aspects are all about energetic configurations. And by tuning into them and just bringing a witnessing presence to them, you begin to immediately change that configuration. And when you start thinking about all the ways that applies in our lives, that becomes incredibly empowering for people. And again, clarifies that understanding of what is their core nature and that also helps them being aware of these other psychic influences and whatnot as well. So it kind of all works together in terms of expanding awareness in their interior states and also what's all around them. And do you think uh, somebody could just be a beginner? They just say they just found, uh, they just got into the UFO subject and they're curious about consciousness. Uh, you think, is it easy for like a beginner to get involved in this kind of work? Well, I think I've heard of different CE5 groups around the country that I think do a very wise thing. And that is before they invite you out into the field, they get to know you first, right? They say, come to a dinner first. Yeah. Let's get to learn who you are. Let's begin to make you aware of these different energetic elements that are part of the picture. And also being responsible as a group for that coherent field that we form when we go and practice something like CE5 or Heist. And you don't just invite anyone, right? You and I both know experience or times where like in Mission Rama, the wrong person gets invited at the last mm -hmm. minute and it totally changes the nature of the event, right? Yeah. So these things really do matter. And it's not because these others are like picky and choosy. It's because this coherent field is a real thing. 
And so it really matters that we each are taking responsibility for what we bring to the table. So yes, I would totally encourage newcomers to get involved, but but don't assume that you're going to like see the goods on, on the first encounter kind of thing or the first event. Like learn to cultivate your own energetic awareness. And from there, you begin to practice these larger group field kind of exercises as well. Yeah. And um, just again, for people watching and listening, when is, when is the first uh, uh, retreat going on with the essence of being? So the retreats will be, there's going to be three next year so far. Uh, the first one will be in the end of April. Um, that will be in a, in a ranch in Pennsylvania, not a ranch, a, a lodge kind of in Pennsylvania on 50 acres, friend of ours that we both know. Um, that's going to be amazing. It's going to be like a two and a half day, two night kind of thing. That'll be the first one. And then there'll be another one in June in the Western US. And that's going to be um, in the Grand Tetons area. Um, at a giant kind of cabin backed up against a national forest. Uh, and then there'll be a third one in September, probably in Switzerland. So I'm just still finalizing details there. Um, I would love to do it in other places too. The The combination of like the online classes and the in-person retreats, my goal ultimately is to basically combine those two so that when we have this long-term online connection we also get to see each other in person like you and i when we got to meet in new york last year right there's something really great about that connection it's more multi-dimensional kind of thing so ideally i'd like to have people have the opportunity to both come into an online class but also get to see each other in the flesh and and practice things together everything from like you know celebratory kind of things like one of the things we're going to do at the end of the of the retreats is like a drum circle, right? So that becomes a really powerful experience, kind of a unifying experience. But we also get to practice with each other in real time, like picking up the subtle energy of like, okay, so-and-so, why don't you talk about how you introduce yourself to people? And then we we tune into when their words don't match with this resonance, right? So we start noticing that they're going into routine in terms of how they describe themselves and it's not coming from this place of resonance. So the same way that when people sing, if they sing from the diaphragm, it's very different than if they kind of like hunch over and, and try to sing that way. It's the same way energetically with how people project themselves into the world, that when you really are speaking from that place of energetic source, then it becomes clear to people. But again, it's a practice you can get better at as you practice it. So this is another one of the things we do in, in the retreats. And one of the piece I would add too, is there's certain questions you can ask. I'm not going to say what they are because they have to be a surprise. It's kind of like a Zen koan, yeah. right? It's like you these questions you ask on the spot that get people to have that experience of that direct gnosis kind of experience with reality. And then they go, oh, wow, that came from a completely different place. What was that? And we then we practice normalizing that. And so again, it increases people's sort of relational uh, aspect of reality. Yeah. And that, that also, just like a Zen koan, it also reminds me of... Um, in uh, in Zochen, the uh, pointing out instruction, it's a very similar, right. yeah, right, right, uh, powerful stuff actually. And so, I, I I want to pivot a little to talk about the uh, current events disclosure. You know, it was really interesting. We had David Grush uh, finally on Joe Rogan. Right. I thought that was it was fascinating that he popped up there because it's a really uh, broad audience, and he he actually went a little bit into more details uh, than I've heard him talk about before. Um, so, what are, what are some of your thoughts on uh, the David Grush discussion on on, on Joe Rogan, or even just uh, the uh, former two documentaries he he did on uh, Yes Theory and uh, American right. Alchemy? Yeah, I think, you know, as everybody keeps saying, we should definitely, you know, acknowledge that Dave is like a, an American hero. I think we should all be cognizant of the sacrifices he made, be be cognizant of the danger he was in, uh, especially at certain points in being a person who was willing to champion this cause and bring this information to the surface. And the skill, speaking of skillful means, the skillful means he employed in order to be able to bring this forward in such a way that the right people heard about it in terms of congressional circles and whatnot, without 
violating his NDAs. Like that was a very, very skillful maneuver you had to sort of work through. And it's because he was a major player in terms of writing some of the legislation that he knew exactly where he could sort of chart his course and stay within the law, but also champion what he thought was this right for humanity to be aware of this and and the sense that, you know, this is beyond national security. This is beyond commercial concerns, those kinds of things. This is something that's a, a human question that not only is it something we deserve to know as a kind of a birthright, but it may be the very kind of vaulting into a new perspective that hopefully changes our configuration as a planetary civilization so that we can, you know, overcome some of the challenges we are facing. Um, so I'm really, really thankful for him doing what he's done. It was definitely interesting seeing him on Joe Rogan because he was much more relaxed. Those guys were like throwing out swear words like there's no tomorrow yeah. and a bit different than the congressional testimony. <laughs> um, but but definitely it was, like you say, a whole different audience, millions of people being exposed to it. And I thought Joe Rogan did a good job of like at the beginning, take us through each step, how this happened. How did you hear about this? How did you verify it? Those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, one thing as before we went on the air, you and I were talking about this. It's funny how some people will pick and choose or most people will pick and choose what elements they find compelling about his testimony. One thing I've frequently talked about on Point of Convergence is, is to try to become cognizant, self-aware of our own biases. And because there isn't, there hasn't been this kind of peer-reviewed academic kind of structure behind the study of the phenomenon, up until recently anyway, that's beginning to happen more and more. Right. Because of that, people can pick and choose hypotheses and ignore data when they don't want to think about it and embrace other data, even if it's like not very well, you know, testified for. Um, but what I what I hear in Dave Gresh's testimony is these elements that have been in the lore that some people don't want to talk about, other people are willing to talk about, things like, you know, hybridization, things like, uh, at least that's an implication of what he's talking about. Because when he talks about accords that, that have been made with the military industrial complex, not many people are thinking about that. But the implications of that are very, very profound. And um, that's another thing I think is really interesting is how we go from it was only what, maybe nine months, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where we were still every time the UFO phenomenon was mentioned, you would see people say, well, it could be drones, right? Chinese right. drones, Russian drones. We've crossed that threshold now where there's this, in, even in the mainstream, there's this recognition, okay, it is something that is not that. And it's not black budget projects either. It's something else. Or if it is sometimes black budget projects, it's because of reverse engineered technology, right? So, so we've crossed that Rubicon. And then when he talked about the bio biologics, right, the, the dead pilots, yeah. that I think is a whole different ontological shock for people. And, and then I think from there, what I'm interested to see happen over the next year is questions about the nature of the accords and how that has fundamentally changed or will change our understanding of 20th century American history. Because when he talks about in that interview, as well as others, the Manhattan Project being totally wrapped up with the UFO phenomenon question, I mean, that's the 20th century history right there. So it's going to fundamentally change our understanding of what has happened, what really were the, 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 the dynamics underneath the surface that we weren't seeing. And as we begin to sort of reckon with this different history than we've been taught, we also have to embrace this new future with this kind of like cosmic arrangement. Yeah. And, you know, and a little bit towards that too, um, I know uh, Tom DeLong has talked a little bit about it and has it's been discussed in, in secret machines that, you know, again, going to the uh, 20th century history is that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just a chord say with the phenomenon, right. There also seemed to be some kind of secret, secret or, uh, cooperation between the United States and other nations and in some regards when it comes to the phenomenon right like we're not sharing all the information we have but there seemed to be some kind of agreement or you know other major nations ha hadn't disclosed it they could have at any time right right um and just the, you know, again, everybody has heard the Reagan speeches where he he talks about, you know, if, if humankind faced some kind of, um, yeah, he did say alien threats, so I'll just say that, not, you right. know, 
whether that's true or not, the, the implications of that and, and what, you know, I, I recall somebody saying, uh, Gobachov's wife, somebody asked her, oh, are you, are you guys going to get rid of the, the nuclear weapons? And she was like, then we have no, we have no defense against the aliens. Right. So there was a, a whole, again, connection there with uh, nuclear weapons and the phenomenon right. and right. 20th century history. And, uh, you know, things like that might come out as well, too, with uh, those discussions. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I mean, I always say that this is the one topic that leaves no other topic unscathed. That's that's how deep and broad this goes. Like it changes in the end, it changes our understanding of our history, of our origin. It It changes our understanding of the nature of reality, just how broadly populated the cosmos actually is how there will be kinds of intelligences that are reckoned with that we didn't even have categories for up until now, those kinds of things. Like the 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 way that this re-architects our very understanding of what is, is so profound. And that's the most interesting aspect for me. Do you, do you think that they're going to get into the, the origin of, hum- <laughs> of humanity? Like the, just say, um, our DNA was augmented yeah. 200,000 years ago. Right. Do you think that's going to become part of the conversation? It's a really good question. I mean, when you think about the the subtle hints that the Elizondo tried to come out with, with like humanities, like suddenly being a plural term, right? Yeah. And, and talking about, you know, this kind of sober nature to it. I think some people jump right away to like negative and nefarious and malevolent. I think it's more about the shock to the system when our meaning models that we formed around religious kind of institutions and whatnot, when those become challenged, right? There's even the question of how much does the Catholic Church, at least an elite element of the Catholic Church, is aware of this as well, right? right. And so, and have their own kind of rollout plan, perhaps. So I think that inevitably we will get to the origins question. Even when I was talking to Bernardo, and he's not really into ufology per se, but even he admitted that there is something so unique about us compared to every other species on the planet. Like we're just so anomalous, right? Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, how can that be? And he actually postulated that, you know, engineered, enge- being an engineered species is on the table. Like how else do you make sense of this? At the very least, kind of like Gary Nolan points out, you can't just like not deal with it. It's an anomaly that you have to explain somehow. And it doesn't seem to be explainable through the usual machinations of evolutionary theory as we understand it. There was this leap, our ability to symbolically represent reality. And by doing that, therefore craft and navigate and, and work reality in a way that we can fundamentally change our relationship with reality. That is a leap that you have to make sense of. And I think eventually we will we will bridge that topic, but it's probably going to be maybe decades in the future. Yeah, I mean that's that sounds you know it's it's hard to predict how how fast things are going to move because even, um, you know I remember when I I was first hearing from people that you know the conversations that are happening now two years ago they were saying yeah in, in sixteen to twenty four months this is the next phase this is what's going to happen kind of thing. And, and sure enough, here we are. And, you know, back then they were even saying, I would say, what about, what about the, um, are we talking about bodies? Are we, are we going to get into that? And back then they were like, ah, we don't know, but apparently we are right. Right. Uh, so that's on the table. And so it's things can, things have the potential to, to move really fast. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to that point, that's a really good point and you're right that dave grush didn't just put one thing on the table he put a whole host of things that are interrelated and are so consequential for our understanding of reality and you know when will we hit this threshold in terms of mainstream uptake so for instance right now even what's happening with these few congress people that are trying to block this uh, amendment from being passed into law I mean, anybody who has half a sense of like journalistic integrity and awareness looks at that and goes, that looks a little suspicious. If there's nothing there, why are these guys bothering to put up such a fuss? You know, like people say, the fuss is the tell that there's something there. 
So at some point, you've got to think that some mainstream uh, newspapers and whatnot are going to catch whiff of this and say, even if they attempt some sort of cover up at this point, because there's so much already out there and because there's such a fuss around this, like stopping the bill from becoming law and that kind of thing, even if they kind of neuter the bill before it becomes law, that in itself to an aware populace should be the sign that something massive is underneath this. So it will be interesting. And I think my biggest question in terms of how long it takes is how long it will be before the mainstream really engages with this topic the way that we do. Yeah. I, there, there has been a shift in that. Um, it's, you know, it's been up and down. It's been left and right. It's been, it's been a pretty crazy ride. It's been mm-hmm. interesting to see, but it, yeah, it seems like New York times is like hands off at this point. Yeah. Um, from, I mean, in the last few years from what they were doing, they had more, I guess you can say defense related individuals trying to do, uh, you know, perception management prior to uh, reports coming out and trying to uh, preemptive strike to kind of set the opinion before the data was even available. Um, but I, you know, I hope that changes. Uh, I, I think at some point it's, it's just going to be, you know, it's, you're not, you're not going to be able, it's, it's going to be glaring people too hard in the face to, right. To minimize it. Right. And at some point they're going to be just left behind. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't like to point to any kind of, specific media but uh, you know news nation is is like zooming on it like they're right. they've done a great job covering it right. and uh i think in that regard they they've been a good example because their their coverage has been good right you know um but again g- getting back to some of what david grush was saying i w- i was really shocked that he started discussing uh accords yeah I, that's not something I saw coming, honestly. I didn't think that we were going there. Yeah, because it's it's one thing to, and he kind of jokingly said this to, to Joe Rogan, right? Like, yeah, these beings that are dead pilots, they were alive at one point. And what was happening when they were alive, right? He kind of like asked us to like think about that question. So if we've had interactions when, when they were alive and Joe basically asked a question like that and again, without being too specific, Dave basically said, yeah, and um, I can't get into that or whatever, uh, but that's what I heard from people. So that's when the reality hits someone a whole different level. It's, it's one thing to find like a fossil that seems anomalous, right? Or some piece of technology. But when you not only have organic matter and sentient beings, but you have beings that were able to be in communication with, for instance, elements of the military industrial complex to the degree which they where they could actually make accords uh, arrive at agreements right we think about you know rumors about the eisenhower landing and things like that and agreements suddenly you have to take all this stuff seriously um and, and like to your point earlier even during the cold war the fact that there was like like these backdoor communique that could happen between the soviet union and america so that we wouldn't accidentally start a nuclear war because of something the others were doing. In other words, both sides knew that they were doing things. And we actually had like, pick up the red phone. I got to call and let them know that's not us. That's the others again. So this, this has been in the mix for decades and decades and decades behind the scenes. And again, when people really begin to tease out like the implications of how far this is reaching in terms of our understanding of reality and our history, it's going to be, um, game changing. And like you say, at some point, there's going to be so much evidence sitting in plain sight that when some of these mainstream media do wake up to it, it's not going to be difficult to confirm this is the case. It's basically going to be in plain sight already. And and then we have the process of of how do you how do you navigate that? How do you responsibly roll that out? So when we think about even some of the things Carl Nell has talked about and he talked about at the Seoul conference was some of the thinking behind the reasoning behind the Schumer amendment, like actually how do you responsibly in, um, you know, roll this out in such a way that you bring in multidisciplinary kind of people with different backgrounds that can brief the president 
not just briefing the president about what this is, but all the implications of how this will impact society and, and that we need to address this matter. We need to address this matter and this matter and, and to roll it out in such a way that is the most responsible way to fundamentally change humanity's understanding of their place in the cosmos, basically. Yeah. And I mean, seeing the slide that he had was, uh, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, people on his level um, and, and no doubt the people around him and within his network, um, you know, they've had thought this out very well. You know, there, there is a plan, right? I think yeah. that's kind of the, the subtext there that there is a plan to disclose this one way or another. Uh, and I, I know people are worried of, oh, you know, the the amendment or the bill is going to be neutered. I, I, I don't see the, the process slowing down at all. The only thing um, that the gatekeepers have to be concerned with is what, what what's the, the change in strategy? Because yeah. there, there, there apparently is, is a strategy. There's a, a plan and there's a network of people that are determined uh, to make this happen. And uh, I think, I think it will. I think it yeah, will. <laughs> absolutely. And um, one thing I've been pointing out to people is that the, the Schumer legislation itself is a kind of disclosure. It's already the beginning right. of disclosure because yeah. you don't mention a term like non-human intelligence, which is a very specific kind times. of wording, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't speak to actually not just the possibility of reverse engineering programs, but you speak to the specifics of how certain legislation like around the Atomic Energy Act and whatnot has been misused to keep this out of the awareness of Congress, right? Like these are not things that are being hinted at possibly being there. They're basically saying this has been the case. This is how this has been inappropriately handled up until now. This is the process we need to go to, to not only bring this back under congressional oversight, but also to begin to expose what has been known and even fundamentally changing the classification process so that there's not this like default knee-jerk reaction to hyper-classification when it's not really about national security. It's more like just a default configuration that's existed for since the Cold War, basically. So so the, the, the details themselves are very interesting. And even the fact we talked about before we went on the air, that sometimes even people that are insiders will talk about the extraterrestrial hypothesis still being a strong candidate, like Chris Mellon's talked about that. But I find it very interesting that they chose the term non-human intelligence. And one thing I point out to people is that a lot of thought goes into like a major debate with a group of people considering all the, the variables, have that debate for a long period of time before they arrive at a certain term, right? Even with my role in the, in the John Mack Institute, we are right now thinking through some issues and how we will position ourselves on certain topics. And it involves having very long, complicated conversations about trying to make sense of all of the data as much as you can uh, to be comprehensive in it so that you're speaking with clarity and not contradicting yourself. So the fact that they chose the term non-human intelligence opens up all of the, the really high strange elements of, of the phenomenon in terms of they didn't arrive at extraterrestrial or alien because alien has these connotations around space alien, right? They they arrived at a term that was has the shock value of saying non-human intelligence, but then also it's so open-ended in terms of what the nature of that will be that it, be, it, it plants the seed in terms of a Zen koan. It plants the seed of why is that term phrased the way it is like it, it opens up your mind so rather than closing your mind and attaching to a pre-existing category like a zen koan it opens your mind and then you have people now meditating consciously or not on what that term actually means and that's a, a major aspect of how disclosure will work i i absolutely agree with you there and uh again the the term non-human intelligence and in, you know it it opens the door for saying this is this is not or may not just be one thing either right you know right um and i love your term uh what is it uh, uh non-conventional human intelligence right um, exactly exactly i mean that's one of the most fascinating questions for me i know that recently on american alchemy they had mike masters who's a friend of mine and I think the future human hypothesis is definitely in the mix and we should think about it. 
But I also think this question around, again, going back to origins, how do we get here, right? This notion of a, an ancient cosmic seeding program where the humanoid form might have been something populated across at least our galaxy, right? So these are really interesting questions that arise that we'll eventually get to. Yeah. And uh, I know we're short on time now, so um, it's it's that time already. I, there's so I I could go on for another hour at least, you know, or a yes, lot more easily. Actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, so just for people watching, and listening, uh, any any kind of closing words to uh, what we've been talking to, and and where can people find your work? Well, I'll answer the second question first. Uh, so Point of Convergence is its own podcast. They can find on the all, all the podcast platforms, also on my YouTube channel, which is slash exoacadamian. I also have another podcast, Liminal Frames, which I do with Nathan. Uh, that's also its own podcast, but you can also find it on the same YouTube channel, exoacadamian. You can find out about the coursework that I create through Essence of Being at essenceofbeing.info, essenceofbeing.info. And yeah, what I'm really excited about in the future is engaging with people um, as well as the phenomenon to, to actually, again, change and grow and evolve our understanding of our relationship with reality. And this dawning reality around the phenomenon is just one uh, koan that encourages us to open our minds. And what I would love to see people do is, is enter into a process of expanding their awareness. And, and, and that beginning with like kind of an open-ended curiosity and then pursuing that and seeing these subtle energies become part of people's awareness and then having this more fine-tuned, skillful way of tuning into reality and responding to it and becoming agents of change. That's sort of my goal. And I would just encourage, finally, speaking to the first part of the question, that people consider all of these matters within this larger context of consciousness. What is it about the fact that this is all happening at the same time? Like I said in my recent POC episode, we've got this looming uh, specter of AI and artificial general intelligence coming online right at the same time that we're having disclosure happen while these others also seem to be ramping up their interaction with us. I think all of it's related. I think it's all of it's connected, that there's something really specific about this period in history, that we should see ourselves as privileged to be alive during this time. And I would just encourage people to think about how they can be agents of positive change while we go through these civilization changing kind of matters. Definitely. And I, I'm going to have all, all of your links in the description. So people who want to find all Darren's stuff will be in the description as well. And, uh, you know, thank you so much again for sharing your, your time and your insight with us, Darren. And I look forward to having you on again. I want to have like a uh, exos update exo academia update uh for sure because there's there's so many things we can discuss absolutely i'm here for it man sounds good look to right. look forward to it take care you too